following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning. It's good to be back. Um, very thankful for a couple of weeks of rest, which I, I desperately needed. And uh, it's great to be back. Uh, as we begin, uh, we'll begin second week of Advent season, and um, so we're going to we're going to shift away from Matthew uh, for the next couple of weeks as we um, look look toward um, Christmas and the birth of Christ. Uh, so we're actually going to be looking this morning uh, from Mark. Uh, Mark's not typically a uh, place where you find a lot about Christmas. <laughs> Uh, but we are going to talk about preparing the way this morning, preparing the way uh, for Jesus. So well, let's uh, follow with me as I read from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather, leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, a lot of... Uh, Preparations going on for Christmas. Uh, Kimberly and her, the Staub family were here diligently decorating, and we're very grateful for uh, their efforts to make the place a little more Christmassy. Um, what, what do you do to prepare for Christmas? Or maybe I should ask, what do you still still need to do? I need to do everything because I haven't done anything yet for Christmas. Um, uh, what, what do you need to do to get ready for Christmas? Maybe you need to put up your decorations at your house. How many of you have got your house decorated? Anybody? A few of you, right? The day of you have it decorated since like September? Anybody? <laughs> right, there's, there's those people. Uh, maybe you still need to decorate. Uh, maybe you still need to shop. How many of you still need to shop and buy some Christmas presents? Right? Okay, everybody's like, well, yeah, everybody, right? Uh, or are you that really efficient person who, you know, bought Christmas presents last January and you're, you're already ready? Um, uh, maybe you need to send Christmas cards. Do people still do that? Do people send Christmas cards? Oh, at least one, right? Maybe you send Christmas cards. Uh, so that maybe you need to prepare or need to do. Uh, maybe you get in the Christmas spirit by going Christmas caroling or... Um, my, my personal favorite tradition is uh, baking Christmas cookies. Not that I actually bake them <laughs> myself. I don't do that. But I like to eat them, <laughs> right? So we like Christmas cookies. Okay, a, lot, a lot you can do. 
And a lot that we do do to prepare, to kind of put ourselves in the Christmas spirit, to feel, uh, and we have these great traditions that make Christmas a very special time. Uh, and, and we hope in the midst of it, we are, of course, honoring Christ. But the reality is that a lot of these things, actually, the world can and, and does do, um, but not necessarily to honor Jesus, right? They like the they like the feel of Christmas. They like the tradition of Christmas. And we see even now Thai Buddhists uh, jumping on some of these traditions. And you go to the mall and it's all decorated and they're playing, uh, you know, away in a manger. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, but I don't know that they're really doing it because they're preparing for Jesus, unfortunately, right? Uh, so, so for us, the real question is not so much what we need to get ready for Christmas, but what do we need to do to prepare for receiving the Jesus of Christmas, right? To prepare to make sure that we're celebrating Christ. We're celebrating the Jesus who came for us, right? That we just honored in the Lord's Supper. And it's important for us to even think about what the point of Christmas is. Like really, what is the, what is the point or focus of Christmas? Now I'm sure if I were to ask you, uh, you would all have an answer. And, and probably a right, a right answer. Uh, and, and it's a great time of the year when, when Thai people want to know, Thai people who are not, aren't, aren't Christians, want to know why we celebrate Christmas. And what do we usually tell them? Christmas is what? The time of year when we celebrate Jesus' birth, right? It's Jesus' birthday, so to speak. Um, but, but is that really the full measure of what we celebrate at Christmas? Are we simply... Uh, celebrating this day that Jesus was born. Um, I, I would say that that's really a vast, vast oversimplification of what Christmas is. And, and I would encourage you not to give that, that short answer. I mean, sometimes it's a short answer, and it's not incorrect. Yes, we are celebrating the birth of Jesus. Um, but it's so much more than that. right? And if we, if we tell Thai people, Christmas is when Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus... It kind of puts Jesus on the same level of any other historical figure, right? Uh, It could be, you know, yesterday was the the birth of King Rama the Ninth. How is Jesus' birth any different than the birth of uh, birthday of King Rama the Ninth? Other than they're different countries, right? Uh, Is that all we really celebrate? Well, I would say no. We we celebrate way more, right? And there's two, at least two critical truths about Christmas that we we have to keep in the foreground if we're going to celebrate, really celebrate Christmas. And I would say even as 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 we share with our Thai neighbors what Christmas is about, that we make sure we we talk about these two things. The first one is Christmas is really about the incarnation. The incarnation, big theological word that simply means God came from heaven to earth and took on a human body, human flesh, human life. He became a living human being. Right? We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, second, we celebrate in Christmas uh, that, uh, that God is with us. Right? Those famous passages, Emmanuel, God with us. Right? So, so we need to prepare ourselves and we'll talk about what these mean in a minute, but how do we prepare ourselves to celebrate these two, these two truths? This truth of the incarnation, 
that the word became flesh, and secondly, that he came and dwelt among us, right? That, that we received this God who took on human flesh and became one of us so that he could be with us continually, right? And so, so let's think about these things and think about what it means to prepare ourselves. Uh, and that's what, what, what Mark and specifically John the Baptist can help us think through. And so let's look at Mark. Um, again, not your typical Christmas passage. <laughs> and Mark uh, skips the entire childhood of Jesus. Mark doesn't say one single thing. A little bit later in the gospel, he does refer uh, a little bit to Jesus' history, uh, his past. But, but uh, Mark starts with Jesus' public ministry. And, and so uh, that is kicked off by the, the coming, the appearing of John the Baptist. And so that's where uh, Mark starts his, his, his gospel. But it's not without some important Christmas themes, right, that we've just talked about. The incarnation and this idea of God with us. So Mark 1 says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning of the gospel. Uh, there's a lot of debate over the be- what Mark means by the beginning here. Does he mean the beginning of his gospel of, of Jesus, meaning the whole book? Um, or is it just the, uh, the immediate events of these few verses? I think it probably is speaking primarily about what happens here. The beginning of, of Jesus' ministry. How did Jesus get started, right? And he got started with the uh, coming of the forerunner, John the Baptist. Um, and he makes it clear that it's, it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, the gospel is the good news. The beginning is the proclamation of Jesus. Right? And that's what he begins to tell us here in Mark chapter 1. That, uh, that we're going to proclaim Jesus. And Jesus is the gospel. If you ever want to explain uh, in one word what the gospel is, the gospel is simply Jesus. Right? He is the gospel. He is the content of its message. Uh, his life and everything that he did, his character, his miracles, his teaching, uh, reaching its climax at the cross, right? The pinnacle of Jesus' life was the cross where he gave himself for us as a sacrifice for sin, which we just talked about uh, celebrating in communion. And through that, uh, purchasing us, purchasing, purchasing a people by his own blood, uh, for our redemption, our salvation, by canceling the debt of sin, uh, our sin, and placing upon us his righteousness. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. And so Mark says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he also gives us some very, uh, uh, he kind of piles up these titles. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, most of the gospel writers uh, kind of cloak the identity of Jesus, um, or, or they, they kind of leak it out subtly. And the reason for that is that when people experienced Jesus, uh, when he came, um, there were no flashing neon lights that, that, uh, from heaven that, that made it obvious Jesus was the Messiah. Right? They kind of had to discern it and figure it out. And it was for those to whom God would reveal him as Messiah. But Mark, Mark's... He, he gives us the whole boat, road, boat, boat load right in the first few words, right? He identifies fully and completely who Jesus is. 
He is the Messiah, Son of the living God. Right? So in the first ten words, or actually less, of, of Mark's gospel, he lays out who Jesus is. And the words that he uses here are very incarnational. In other words, what Mark describes is Jesus' incarnation. And he uses four titles here. First, Jesus' name, the name Jesus, right? The name given to him at his birth. Right? So when Mary gave birth to Jesus and laid him in swaddling clothes in the manger, uh, they named him Jesus. And Jesus is his human, earthly name. Um, and, and there's a very real sense in which Jesus, the incarnate person, really did come into existence at, at his birth, right? Um, a lot of times we talk about Jesus in the Old Testament. But that's technically, I kind of get what it means, and it's not that you can't say that, but it's actually quite inaccurate. Uh, there is no Jesus in the Old Testament because Jesus didn't exist yet. Now, just, just let me be real clear here, the eternal Son of God existed, Right? Uh, the one who came from heaven to earth did exist. But he became Jesus the man on the day he was born. Right, And so there's a very real sense that Jesus the person came into existence on that day that he was born. Right, And we'll talk in a minute about the incarnation, what happened on that day. Uh, but, but it's important to see that, that the word Jesus captures his humanity. And he was a real human being. right, And people knew him. Whether or not they knew him as Messiah or the Son of the Living God may be a different story. But uh, everybody who lived in, in, in Judea and Jerusalem in Jesus' day knew who Jesus was. And probably virtually every Jewish person saw him as a real life living human being who, who walked around planet Earth. And he did all these remarkable things. Right? Um, uh, but of course, he's not just that, he's not just a man, right? So Mark doesn't end with just that description alone. He says he is Jesus Messiah, uh, Jesus Christ, right? And uh, just just so we're we're clear, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Like I'm Tim Dunham, right? Okay, it wasn't like Jesus was his first name and Christ was his last name. We all know that, right? Christ is the Greek word uh, that means anointed. It's the Greek word that translated the Hebrew word Messiah or Messiah. Right? And it, it's, it's not his last name, it's his role. It's, it's, the, it's what he came to be. Uh, Jesus Messiah, the promised one. The one that from Old Testament had looked forward to through the many prophets and prophecies that would come as really the, the great deliverer of, of Israel and actually of humanity. He was the one who would bring about a second exodus. Now, when we see the, the term used by Matthew, we've been going through Matthew, and for the Jews it was, a very, uh, it was a very nationalistic term, right? It was relating to Israel as a nation. But Mark uses the term, he writes to Gentiles, and it has a much broader term, meaning really the promised deliverer, not just of Israel, but of all mankind, the Savior, the Redeemer, the one who would bring about salvation for all of God's people as the one leading a second exodus out of sin and death into the promised land of eternal life and God's goodness. Right? Um, 
As such, Messiah was not necessarily a title of divinity. Right? It didn't, being Messiah didn't necessarily mean God, uh, but it, it, it's moving in that direction. Right? Uh, the Jews uh, had this idea of a Messiah who was probably very human, but we understand Jesus as Messiah being um, one sent from God. Right? One sent from God. But, but just to make sure Mark's clear, he doesn't stop there. He has yet one more title. Jesus, Messiah, Son of God. Right? Now this gets a lot closer to Jesus' divine nature. Right? That he was human, he was a man, but he was also 100% fully God. Right? What does it mean to be a son of somebody? Well, uh, I am the son of my father, and like it or not, I inherited a bunch of his genes. And I don't mean his blue genes, I mean his DNA, right? And so there's a lot of characteristics, there's a lot about how I look, and even temperament that come from my, my father's DNA. I have his blood, we say, running in us. Um, and, and not only that, but uh, in, in most families, sons or children have a right to the, the wealth and property and, and maybe even the family business, right? There are certain rights that go with being a son. Well, this is true of Jesus, right? Jesus is the son of God. In a sense, he has the, the heavenly father's spiritual DNA. Because I'm not, I don't mean physical DNA because God is spirit. But he has the character of God, right? He is, he is uh, as says in Philippians, he, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to strive for, because he was already equal to God. He had the same nature as God, divine, eternal, right, infinite, without limit, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful. Uh, Jesus shared as son the, the rights and authority of the Father, right, as the rightful heir to the throne of of God, right? He had the same power and authority uh, as King, right? So, so we see in these uh, titles a very what we say is incarnational description of Jesus. Jesus, the man; Jesus, who came as Messiah; Jesus, who uh, is filled with fully God's nature, right? And and Bible tells us that He set aside the glory. Right? But he never gave it up. Right? He gave aside some of, uh, some of the power and glory of God for a moment as he took on human flesh. But uh, when we speak of the incarnation, we, we mean that, God is, that Jesus is fully man and fully God at the same time. Right? Now, now, can we explain this? No. Can we understand it? Probably not. Right? How he could be both eternal and yet finite man uh, at the same time. But this is what Jesus did, and this is how he came. And this is one of the things that we need to celebrate at Christmas. Right? We're not celebrating just the birth of a famous person. We're not just celebrating the birth of some guy who started another religion. Right? We're celebrating the birth uh, like no other birth in all of time and all of history. When God left heaven... Right, the Son of God, the uh, as John calls it, the eternal Word of God, came down from heaven to earth and took on a human fleshly body. 
John says the, the word became flesh. It became a person. So the eternal word of the Old Testament became Jesus, the man of the New Testament and onward. Right? He created and became this new thing, uh, the incarnate Son of God. Jesus, the man, God. And, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. right? Uh, that God himself stepped down from heaven and came and put his earthly feet, uh, his, his fleshly feet on this earth and lived among us. Right? Uh, so that's the first important uh, thing we need to celebrate and remember at Christmas. Right? We, we are celebrating uh, the Jesus uh, who became, uh, who was God, who became a man like us. Um, and he did come to dwell among us. So that's the second thing we celebrate at Christmas. The second important factor is that he did this to be God with us. Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, he is now this incarnate Jesus who is God with us. The Son of God from heaven on earth now dwelling with people. Uh, now, of course, this was certainly true in the time of Jesus and his life on earth. And we, we, we think back and we read and we're studying through Matthew all that Jesus did when he was on earth. And for, for those, whether I said, whether they knew it or not, Jesus was with them. God was walking in and amongst them in a very real powerful way as Jesus did miracles and he healed the sick and he cast out demons and he taught the crowd. Uh, this wasn't just a, a, another great teacher. This was God himself, fully present with them, communicating and revealing the Father, uh, to all the people who would listen, right? Uh, but we also know that uh, eventually he, he, he was crucified, his enemies killed him, and he died, he was buried, he rose again, and now he's ascended to heaven. And so Jesus bodily now is in heaven, seated uh, still bodily, still with the human flesh, even though it's a resurrected one, right? He didn't, he didn't discard his bodily life. Right? He still is holding on to this bodily existence. So he is still now Jesus in heaven. Right? He's still the Son of God. He's still Messiah. But he is different than he was before he came, before Christmas Day. Right? He is now seated on the throne and in bodily form. Like, so he's literally seated on a throne. Uh, this is not some spiritual, he's back there in spirit. He's now in this cosmic spiritual existence like he was before. No. Right? Jesus is on the throne bodily, physically. Right? So in what sense then is, is Jesus with us? Like did it mean, well, he was with us, but then he left. And now he's Emmanuel, not with us anymore. Is that what it means? Uh, well, no. Uh, and, and to really get the full picture of this, we need to kind of go back to the Old Testament a little bit and see that it was God's plan from all along that he would be with his people. Right from the Exodus all the way up to Jesus, God's plan and purpose and God's working was to be among them. So he set up the tabernacle first and later the temple, where what? Where his presence would dwell in their midst. But sin made this really complicated and difficult. And there were all kinds of barriers. There were curtains. There were priests. There were guards. 
there were uh, there was a big altar, and there was a lot of steps to get almost to Jesus. I mean, almost to God, right? Almost to the presence of God. But there was always something that kept it just out of reach, right? But when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to that great curtain in the temple? Right? It was torn in two, right? It was removed. And in Jesus, that, that barrier is gone. So that now in a very, very real sense, through, through Christ, through Jesus, uh, God is with us in the person of Christ, through his spirit. So Mark talks about that. He says, he says and, and, and verse 7, And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Right, so this is the second great wonder of Christmas, right? That even though Jesus has left and he's seated on the throne in heaven, yet he's communicating, he is, he is imparting to us his presence, himself, uh, and, and the very presence of God the Father through his spirit in us, right? So if we are in Christ, we live every day with God with us, right? Near us. His presence is a, is a very real uh, present reality in our life, right? God is not way far off in heaven. God is actually in us and with us, right? Uh, he dwells with us through his spirit. So, so as John said, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he is still dwelling among his people. Right? Jesus is with us. God is with us through the work and ministry and person of Christ, um, and those are the great truths, two truths of Christmas, right? So when people ask you why we celebrate Christmas, don't just say because it's Jesus' birthday, okay? If I hear you say that, I'm just going to have to slap you, right? Because uh, you weren't paying attention in church, right? No, we should say it's the day we celebrate God coming from heaven to earth to be with us, Right? And it happens that he came and he was born on this day that we celebrate. But we're celebrating God coming to us, uh, taking on our life, our humanness, so that he could be the sacrifice for our sin, so that he could live with us and we could live with him from now through eternity. Right? It's not just Jesus' birthday, right? It's so much more. And, and as such, because it is so much more, it is right and worthy that we should prepare for this. And so that's what, 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 what uh, Mark writes about and what John the Baptist is all about, right? Verse 2 of Mark 1, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Now, we don't know who says that. And Mark is kind of a mysterious, and this is really a prologue. So uh, this voice kind of comes from outside somewhere. Like, this is... An introduction. So just imagine a stage play, and you're sitting in the theater, and the curtain hasn't been pulled back yet. But this booming voice from somewhere outside off stage says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Right? And then the curtain pulls back, and what you see is you see John, right? 
John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Right, so what does all this mean? Well, uh, it means that uh, before Jesus would come, the way had to be prepared. Right? Uh, a lot of us, you know, we want to have a really very special Christmas day. Some people it's not such a big deal, but some people it's like this is the day of the year, right? Like if you get any day right, you want to get Christmas right. And you want to, you want to, you want to get up, you want to have the, the decorations and the lights and you want to have the family and, and, and the tree and the presents and there's a lot. But if you're going to have this day, if, if Christmas is going to work and be a really fun special day, you can't just get up on Christmas morning and say, hmm, maybe I should start getting ready. <laughs> Because if you didn't get ready by Christmas morning, it's too late. Like, if you didn't set up the tree, if you didn't buy the presents, if you didn't stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning wrapping them all, if you didn't buy the Christmas ham or turkey or, I don't know, cow pot, whatever it is you do in Thailand, Christmas sushi or something, um, right? It's not going to happen, right? You have to prepare for it. You have to make plans ahead of time. The same thing is true here. It, it, Jesus is coming, and there's no, there's no, there's no doubt about it. They didn't need to prepare so that Jesus would come. He was coming. The preparation was so that when he came, they would recognize him. And it becomes very clear as you go through all the gospel accounts. Jesus showed up to everybody. He appeared to all, but not everybody got who he was. Not everybody understood that he was Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, Son of the living God. And it was only those who prepared in advance, those who did the right things to get ready, uh, that that understood who he he is, who received him. And so, so God sends this messenger, John, in advance, uh, to prepare the way, uh, to to uh, prepare the way for them to receive Jesus, right? And uh, and this preparing the way uh, in 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 Bible times, there's this idea of a king coming, and and before they came, they would they would prepare the road, the way, the path, right? They would broaden it maybe and, and make it wider. They would take out the hills and the valleys and make it flat and smooth, right? So that the king could come on this well-prepared uh, uh, highway. Uh, when I was a kid, um, you know, if some special relative was coming to visit us, my mom would go into super cleaning mode, right? And she would say, you, you boys go to the room and you clean your room. And like she meant like really actually clean it. Like, we couldn't just stuff stuff under the bed, you know. She was like, she like meant, like, really clean it. Like, this was a rare moment for me, right? Uh, and why? Because she wanted her house to be ready for the special guest, right? She wanted to make a good impression and a good appearance. Well, that's the picture here, right, of making the way, the path straight, of, of making a, a right appearance for this king, this very important person who's coming. Um, and and so, so John is sent for this work of preparing the way for Jesus. And how are they to do that? Well, it says John comes preaching 
and baptizing a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and really, the work that John does is preparing not so much the way himself as preparing people to, to, to do that work of making the way right in their own heart. Right? Jesus would come to Israel. He would come to Jerusalem. He would come to them regardless. But if they were to receive him, they needed to prepare their own heart. And so what was required was repentance. Repentance. Right? Preaching this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the people, all the country, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized him in the river, confessing their sins. So John's baptism is very different than the baptism we practice now. It was a, a baptism that marked a repentant heart. Right? And he would preach repentance. He would preach Turning your life around. A repentance essentially means turning in a different direction. Turning away from sin and turning to God. And, and, and John was preaching that. And of course, in the other Gospels, we get a lot more content of what Jesus preached. Um, he loved to pick on the Pharisees and the, the righteous and religious people of Jesus' day. A uh, great opportunity to call them a brood of snakes. Um, stuff like that. Uh, here we don't get that. We, do, we just get that people went out to him and, and they were having this baptism confessing their sins. So the way this worked, I don't know exactly how it worked, but it was something like this. People came and they, were, uh, they heard this message of, of, of their sin and of their life that had been a failure to meet God's standard. A life that did not measure up to God's glory. And, and John, being prophetic, could call out these sins of the people of Israel. Now, the people of Israel were not mass murderers. You know, They were actually quite moral people. So uh, one of the challenges I find preaching Christ to Thai Buddhists is they are good people. And I remember sharing with uh, more than one and, and, and talking to them of their need for Christ, and they would say, but, but I'm a good person. I am a good person. I don't really need that. Because I've, uh, I've been working on my karma, right? And I'm, I'm being a good person. And, and they, they won't come to Christ, right? They can't prepare their heart for Jesus if that's where they are. Um, and, and so uh, as they came and they heard this message and this preaching, for those who heard it, who received it, they were, they were pierced about their sin. Even though they were good moral people, right? they knew that their life did not measure up. Right? It did not fully please God. Right? It, 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 was not, um, it was not good. And they confessed their sins. I don't know if they did this publicly before John. If John said, okay, before I dunk you, let's, have, you know, let's hear it. I don't know if that's how it worked, if they actually had to verbally confess and then John would baptize them, I don't know. Or if he just said, you know, if you've truly confessed, if you've truly acknowledged the sin in your life and that you are not worthy of God or his kingdom or eternal life, come and I will baptize you. I don't know how it worked, but that's what he did, right? And, and so those who were baptized 
were those who, who through baptism showed an outward mark or sign of what they had done inwardly. That they had admitted their life did not measure up. It was not good enough. It did not meet God's standard and his glory. And they were in trouble. Right? And they confessed their sins and he baptized them. Um, and so, so, so the way that they prepared was through uh, the act of repentance. And I, I would say that, that the same is true for us. Right? There's no difference. Like if we're going to receive Christ, if we're going to welcome Christ, if we are going to experience God with us, we also likewise must uh, practice repentance. Right? Uh, what exactly is repentance? Well, it, it is on one hand, it is a turning from sin. It is acknowledging that my, my life, in my life there is behavior and practices and thoughts that are wicked, evil, that are against God's plan and dishonoring to him, displeasing to him. Um, uh, and, and it's not just that we feel a sorrow, although I think there, there often is a sorrow with it, but oftentimes we're sorry because we got caught, right? We're sorry because of the consequences, right? This was me when I was a kid. When I, when I would do something wrong, like I would get caught. And when I got caught, I became sorrowful, right? Because I knew I was going to get in trouble. And I knew I was going to get some serious and probably painful consequences. And that made me very sad. Sometimes I would actually cry even before I got the consequences because I was so sorrowful, Right? But was I sorrowful because of my actual wrong? Well, not really. Right? I was mostly sad because I dreaded the consequences. Right? That's not really where repentance is. Repentance is when we become sorrow, sorrowful because we actually did the wrong thing. Because we feel bad that this is me. Like th- th- that I am doing bad things because I'm a bad person. Right? And, and we don't like that that's who we are. And owning that is, is painful. And it is, it is sorrowful. And there is a grief that comes with that. That I'm actually not a good person. Like I'm not deserving or worthy of anything. Because I am sinful. Um, and so because of that, uh, the gospel in the Bible is very clear that no one can be saved apart from that the deeds are acts of repentance. Right? You, cannot, you cannot receive Jesus, you cannot be saved without uh, coming to grips with the fact that we are a sin, sinful people and our sin condemns us to eternal judgment, that we are deserving of God's wrath. Um, and, and honestly, any so-called gospel that calls people to get saved or to accept Jesus or to trust God, that does not first confront our sinfulness, that we are sinful beings, we are wicked, we are evil in God's sight, uh, and that we are really a, a complete failure before God. Right? This is just not the gospel. Right? There is no gospel. There is no salvation, it says, apart from repentance. The way we prepare to receive Jesus is through repentance, through acknowledging our sin. Right? And so uh, if you are here and you know Christ, you, you, you've done this. 
right? You came to a point where you realized uh, I was lost in sin. I was under God's wrath. I was deserving of his judgment. And my only hope was to confess that sin, not to hide it or pretend it's not there, but to be honest. God, I am a sinner, and I desperately need your saving work through Christ. Um, but, but what happens after we're saved, right? Like, like is, is repentance kind of just a one-time event that we do when we first come to Christ, and then we can kind of move on, and repentance is, is, a, is a thing of the past? Well, I think a lot of us practice it that way. Um, maybe we think of, of repentance as something we do on those occasional moments when we fall back into sin and we, we slip up and we, 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 we lose our temper or we fall to our lust or we, uh, we let greed and grip our heart and, and, and so we recognize those sins. And certainly repentance is required in those times as well, right? That we, we, we acknowledge before God that we failed, we fell, right? But, but repentance is more than confession, Repentance involves confession, but repentance is actually much more than uh, uh, just confessing sin. And what's interesting, in this passage, we didn't read it, but down in verse 9, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, John's baptism was what? It was a baptism of repentance. So what did it mean for Jesus to receive John's baptism? Like, did Jesus have to confess his sins? Well, he had none to confess, right? Jesus is a pure, spotless, perfect Lamb of God. Right? Never did he once do anything wrong. Right? Jesus had nothing to confess. If repentance is just turning away from our sin, how could Jesus in good conscience be baptized? Well, some people say, well, you know, he was just identifying with us. He was just kind of going along with the motions. Uh, and there's probably some truth to that. Uh, But actually, our problem is that we don't really fully understand what repentance is. We think of repentance as relating only to sin. But but actually, repentance is much broader than that. Okay, Repentance is not simply uh, confessing a sin. Repentance is actually a turning of our whole life to a different direction. It is reorienting our life in a completely different direction. And, and when Jesus uh, receives the baptism of repentance, there's a sense in which he is repenting, not, not turning away from sin, but he is orienting his life toward the Father, right? towards God, towards God's purpose and plan. He is submitting to baptism to point his life fully in the direction of the will of his Father. Right? And so Jesus could rightly Receive the baptism of repentance because he, like all of us, needed to orient his life in the right direction. Not that it was going in the wrong direction before, unlike us, but, but it was a commitment that he was pointing his life towards the Father. Right? Now, if you doubt my, uh, my just, just so you know, I didn't make this up. Okay, let me give you some definitions that I got from several different sources, and these are helpful. Uh, Here's one. Repentance may represent only regret or remorse over a past thought or action, but in its fullest sense, 
It is a term for a complete change of orientation involving a judgment upon the past and a deliberate redirection for the future. Okay? I'm I'm orienting, I'm reorienting my life in a new direction. Another one. In its biblical sense, repentance refers to a deeply seated and thorough turning from self to God. It occurs when a radical turning to God takes place, an experience in which God is recognized as the most important fact of one's existence. It's more than just dealing with sin. It's pointing my life toward God. Those who were prepared to make such a radical reorientation of their lives demonstrated that by being baptized in Mark. Uh, This complete redirection of their lives was to be demonstrated by profound changes in lifestyle and relationships. And so as such, repentance is something that needs to be a daily habit. A daily habit. Individual believers as well as churches must constantly engage in self-examination, allowing the Spirit of God to point out areas where change, where redirection is needed. Right? Uh, really, uh, the practice of daily repentance is, is the practice of, of reorienting our life in the right direction. I just got to spend a couple weeks at the beach, and it's fun sitting uh, on, the, on the shore watching off in the distance ships, and I just always thought sailing was just a cool thing. And it's just fascinating when a ship is out in the middle of the ocean, you know, there's no lines painted on the ocean, like making roads, so they can know where they're going, right? Uh, no, no, no path marked out. And when you're out in the middle of the ocean and all the land has disappeared, there's no landmarks, Right? And so it's a constant effort for the ship's navigator to be checking the ship's course. right? And there's a lot of things pushing the, the ship off course. Wind blows, uh, ocean currents uh, can push the, the ship and steer it in a different direction. And so the captain and the navigator must constantly be making corrections to reorient the ship in the right direction. Or they're going to end up at the wrong continent, Right? Uh, they're going to end up way off course, and they're not going to get to their final destination. right? And it's a daily and actually even sometimes hourly thing that they must check the course and, and make corrections. That's repentance. right? That's the kind of daily repentance we should be practicing, where we are checking the direction of our life. And maybe we're not 180 degrees off like we were before we came to Christ. But how easy it is to start start shifting direction and start gradually getting pushed off course, right? Uh, Only it's not the wind and the currents that blow us off. It's these three things. First, it's the thinking of the world. Like I am honestly amazed watching the whole election thing in the U.S. and watching the church. And I'm telling you, the church is getting pushed off course because they watch way too much news, right? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, where are these people? Like, where are these people? Uh, and I'm not taking political sides. I'm just saying they, they, their thinking is being pushed off course by the world, 
by, by their Twitter and Facebook and social media. Right? So can music and movies and the things of the world because they proclaim a message that is opposite from Scripture. And when we let it influence us, it will push us off course. Second thing that pushes us off course is our own flesh. Right? Our own desire, our own selfish impulses, our own habits. Paul says that it is sin in the flesh and it cannot please God. Right? And we know those humanly desires that are contrary to God's will and plan. And finally, Satan himself, whispering lies and half-truths to steer us off course. Right? To, to make us doubt God's promises and God's plan. Uh, so it's vital, it is vital that we daily uh, practice repentance. And, and here's how I think this can work in our life. Of course, it is partly a uh, confession. So always evaluating, looking at our life and seeing if there's areas where we have sinned. But it's not just that. Like sometimes, I, you know, honestly, it's like, well, I, 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 I confess my sins, right? But is that enough? No, it's not, right? We need to then check the direction of our life. We need to make sure we are fully on course with God's purpose and will for our life. Remembering that our own will, our own agenda, our own desires are pushing us in a different direction. Right? And we need to resist turning away from our own self and reorient our life towards God. And here's a great way I think we can do this every day. My, my challenge to you would be to do this between now and Christmas as a way to prepare uh, for Jesus' presence in our life. Uh, pray the Lord's Prayer this way. Right? We know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Right? I, I, God, I want to reorient my life away from the here and now and from my own selfish existence and reorient it, re, reorient it pointed towards my Father who is in heaven. That I have a heavenly existence and reality that, that makes up what my life is about. Right? Hallowed be your name. Right, this is reorienting my life away from my glory and towards God's glory and fame. Am I really, am I really living fully for God's glory? Or am I looking out for my own fame and my own reputation? Is that more important to me than God's glory and honor? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's reorienting, reorienting, turning our life away from my kingdom, my ambitions, my goals, and my plans. Laying down my rights, my comfort, the things I think I deserve. And turning my life fully towards God's kingdom. Right, his rule over my life, his will, his purpose, his plans, his agenda, his goals. Right, that's the work of repentance, of reorienting my life towards his will. Right? Um, give us this day our daily bread. That is turning away from my self-sufficiency, my independence, and from relying on myself and my resources to meet my needs and fix my problems. And instead, orienting my life towards God as the full 
sufficiency to meet every need in my life. That I trust him to take care of me. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is turning my life away from sin, from bad habits, from anything that is not pleasing to God and glorifying him, and turning toward his grace and his forgiveness in Christ. Like the more we realize how much it costs Jesus to pay for my sin, right? It, it brings us into a world of grace where we live in his grace, but also we become much more gracious as we deal with people around us. And lastly, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, turning away from my own self-direction. Because if I follow myself, it ends in evil. <laughs> right? It ends in selfishness. It may end in good things, but it's not God's good things. Right? Relying, uh, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And remember, all of this, this repentance, is not, is not simply to get our life pointed in the right direction. It's, it's that. But ultimately, it's, it's more than that. It's so that um, we can encounter Jesus living with us day by day. right? God with us. Uh, do we want God with us? Do we want Jesus with us? Or are we happy to just live life on our own without his help? distant from him. I don't want that. Right? I want Jesus' presence in my life. And the way we do that, John says, is by preparing our heart through repentance. And let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.